Right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here. Happy Resurrection Day. Happy Easter. And so we are excited to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation. I'll speak more towards that in just a moment. But just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And, uh, uh, what else do I want to say? And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org and you can go to our give page on the top right corner and you can give them anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom of every page on our website, you can find our mailing address and you can give in that fashion. If you're in the U.S., in the United States, to say that all your tax donations are 100% tax deductible. Excuse me, as we are a 501c3 church. So, without further ado, we're going to jump right into our message this morning as I have a lot to cover. This is Easter morning, this is Resurrection Day, and uh, normally I would give a, a message that is, a, uh, that is more specifically towards Easter. Um, but if you have followed our ministry in any way, shape, or form, you know that we basically teach an Easter message almost every, every Sunday morning. And so that's all we teach. And, and we teach that on a regular basis. We take it from different angles. We take it from different aspects. Uh, but most of our messages, if uh, not 100% of them, are basically the Easter message. And right now, and, and if you've been following our, our ministry in recent weeks, We've been talking about such a great salvation. This is Easter. This is a resurrection message. And so I just have felt led not to uh, detour from this message and go back to it next week because I believe everything we teach is an Easter base. This might not be what we call an Easter exclusive message, uh, but uh, the Easter message is in, 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 it's in this message. We have such a great salvation. And this is a longer series than I, than I normally teach, uh, because there's a lot to talk about the, the, the salvation. And I, let me uh, recap what we've covered so far. And like I said in my introduction, that all of our teachings are archived on our website, as well as our YouTube channel. They're all on Facebook. Uh, yeah, you have to scroll down to find them, so there's easier formats for you to find them. We have multiple podcasts where you can listen to our messages that are also advertised on our website as well. And so anyway... Um, let me just go ahead and recap what we covered so far, and then we'll just continue with our message this morning. This is actually part nine uh, of, the, of the series. I don't know how many more weeks we have to go, and I'll be explaining that in just a few moments. So we started our first hour nine weeks ago. We talked about the gift of salvation. We basically defined what salvation was. Salvation, by definition, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, means wholeness. It means healing. It means prosperity. It means deliverance. It has many other definitions along those lines, but it's a gift. It's not something you can earn. You can't earn salvation. You receive salvation by, it's by grace through faith. It's not grace alone, and it's not faith alone. Salvation is a gift. It's, it's grace. But we put faith in that grace to activate that grace and gift in our lives. Then we talk about the purpose of salvation. That the purpose of salvation is not going to heaven and avoiding hell. No, that's some of the great benefits of salvation. There is a hell, and there is a heaven. And those of you who have received Jesus, you are going to heaven. And those of you who have rejected Jesus, you are going to hell. Okay? But that's not the purpose. The purpose of salvation is a relationship with God. 
Adam and Eve had a relationship with God before they sinned. And all mankind had, was uh, barred from that relationship with God because of sin. But Jesus came and reconciled us back to the Father, back into a relationship with God. And he did that through the cross. He did that through what we're celebrating today, Resurrection Morning. We're celebrating that he is alive, and because he is alive, we can live in perfect harmony and perfect relationship with God. That's the purpose of salvation. Even if there wasn't a hell, heaven, and even if there wasn't a hell, and there are, Jesus still would have died on the cross, so we can have a relationship with God. The worst thing about hell is God's not there. The best thing about heaven is God is there, and we will see him face to face. Then we spent a couple weeks talking about the necessity of salvation, why we need salvation, and the purpose of that, and as far as the necessity of it. And then we've been talking about the last several weeks, and we're still in this last component of the benefits of salvation. And we are, and there's many, <coughs> excuse me, there are many benefits of salvation, and we're not excluding anything, but we are actually zeroing in on three specific benefits, and one of those is being wholeness, and we're going to continue with that this morning in just a few moments. When we're done talking about wholeness, and these are kind of mini-series within this, this umbrella of such a great salvation and the benefits of that salvation, but one of the benefits of salvation is wholeness. And we're, we've been talking about that, and we'll get back to that in just a few moments, and then when we're done with this, we're going to be talking about healing, and then we're also going to be talking about prosperity, okay, and how, how it is a benefit of salvation. So again, we're under the umbrella of the, the benefits of salvation in this teaching series on such a great salvation. In the last several weeks, we've been talking about wholeness. And our key verse for this segment of our teaching has been from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And Paul says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and I pray God your whole book, spirit and soul and body be deserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about in several weeks how we were broken people because of sin. We were broken by sin. Not only did Adam usher us into sin, but we have all sinned ourselves. Okay? And God has reversed the bro that brokenness through Jesus, through the cross. What we're celebrating this morning on Easter, resurrection morning, we're celebrating that Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to make us whole. And he came to make us whole, spirit, soul, and body. We are a triune being. We are made in the image and likeness of a triune God. And we talked about that at length in previous weeks. Jesus came to make our spirit whole. Jesus came to make our soul whole. What's our soul? Our mind, will, and emotions. So Jesus came to make our mind and our will and our emotions whole. And Jesus came to make our body whole. We spent our time talking a lot about our spirit, and we're still talking about that in length. But our spirit is saved now by faith. We, and one of our key verses for this one was Ephesians 2 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God. You have been saved through faith. It's not something that you're, if you receive Jesus, you have been saved. If you haven't received Jesus, you are not saved. But if you have received, you have already been saved. Through grace, through faith, by, by grace through faith, okay? When you believe in his grace, when you believe the gospel, when you believe Jesus, when you believe what Jesus did for us on the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection, you are saved by faith. 
And when you accept Jesus, your spirit man is what's saved. Your body's not saved yet, and your soul's not saved yet. We'll get into that. I know some people don't understand that, but that's why we're teaching this. When you are saved, your spirit man excuse me, is saved. And when you accept Jesus, your spirit man is made whole. We talk about our soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality, our reasoning, our opinions, and so on and so on. But our soul is being saved. It's not saved. It's in the process of being saved. And one of our key verses for this is James 1.21. It says, Therefore I lay aside all filthiness and overflow of the wickedness, and receive with meekness the planted word which is able to save your souls. God's word is changing my mind. My, God's will is changing my will and my emotions. He's changing my mind. I'm losing my thoughts and I'm getting his thoughts. My soul is in the process of being saved. My soul is in the process of being made whole. And how is that done? Through the washing of water by the word. My mind is being renewed. We'll talk about this a little bit more in just a few moments. It's, it, my emotions and my thoughts are being renewed. My soul as a whole is being renewed. It's a process, okay? Um, and our body is saved by the hope of the resurrection, which we're saying celebrating this morning. And it's future tense, okay? Now, Romans 8, 23 to 24 says, and let me pick, let's pick up verse 23 for time's sake. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even when we ourselves grow within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that hope is you know, seen is not hopeful. And why does one still hope for what he sees? I'm going to do this, this recap a little fast, but our spirit being saved is the first fruits of us eagerly waiting for the adoption of our bodies. Uh, adoption of the redemption of our bodies. We're still waiting. When we got, <coughs> excuse me, when Jesus comes again, we will, and we're in Christ, we will get a new body. And we didn't get that yet. If, if I keep saying it over and over again, but if you were fat when you, God saved, you're still going to be fat in this body, on this planet, in this earth, in this lifetime. Okay? And so, if you didn't know math before, you're not going to know math unless you learn math. Okay? And so, we are still, we're waiting. We're not waiting for salvation, but we are waiting for the adoption of the redemption of our body. Okay? So, we are saved. Our spirit is saved. Our soul is in the process of being saved. And our body, we are eagerly waiting for our body, the redemption of our bodies to be saved. Our, bo our bodies are purchased. Jesus purchases through the cross. And we're going to get into it this morning. Where, well, we, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that. Our bodies are, are sanctified in that fashion. But our bodies are, have not been redeemed. Okay? Our spirits have been redeemed. Our spirits have been sealed. Our spirits have been born again. They're saved. They're whole. And our minds are in the process of being made whole by the Word of God. And our body is made by by hope, by the hope in the resurrection. This morning, I'm going to get, I'm going to introduce it now, but I'm going to, I guess I'm going to still get saved. But I want to talk about the Old Testament tabernacle, the temple, because we are the body, the temple. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, and how it relates to spirit, soul, and body. What we're talking about. We're going to talk about the Old Testament tabernacle and how it relates to the New Testament, and how it is profound in our daily application. Of living this Christian life. Okay. See when we understanding the spirit soul and body. Is the beginning of a revelation of how to live your life. See we are. I am a spirit. That's the real me. I have a, I'm a soul. That's my mind, will, emotions, and reasoning and so on. And I live in a body. 
while we're still on this body, we have earth suits. Uh, excuse me, while we're still on this planet Earth, but before Jesus comes again, we are still living in the body. Uh, the real us is our spirit. We have a soul. We have uh, the, our soul. Our body is our flesh. We have a mind. We have wills. We have a, we have feelings. Okay, we have emotions. We have intellect, and that's our soul and our body. But the real us is our spirit. And the answers to many of our questions that we have in life about God and about ourselves and in life is found in understanding spiritual body. But many of those same questions can also be found in understanding the tabernacle and the temple. And we're going to be looking at that in, in, a, few in a few moments. Okay? But the Old Testament tabernacle is talking about how God dwelt in that tabernacle. How God dwelt among his people. How he fellowshiped with them. How he was among them. And how he related to the people. And how the people related to God. Let's go back to our key verse real quick. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And pray God that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calls you who will also do it. I want to recap again some more things that I, I want to keep instilling into us as we go to talk about the tabernacle in just a few moments. Salvation is not only making your spirit whole, but salvation includes making your soul and your body whole as well. I keep saying this over and over again, but I'm trying to get this into it. This is very important that we understand these, these concepts. God wants your soul whole. God wants your mind whole. God wants the way you think and your emotions God wants your soul to have sound thinking. God wants your soul to have kingdom thinking. And our souls and our body are still connected to this world, and they can get damaged every day. Our soul and our body can still get defiled. It can still be affected by sin in this world. See, in life, our emotions can be can fluctuate. In life, our, our relationships... In, in relationships, our emotions can fluctuate. In marriage, our emotions can fluctuate. In parenting, in business, and even in the church, our emotions can fluctuate. And we talked about before how some scriptures talk about two parts of our of us, our inward man and our outer man. We get that from 2 Corinthians 4.16, for example. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, though the inward man is being renewed day by day. And the inward man, we talked about this before, our, in, our inward man is a combination of our spirit and our soul. When you die, your spirit and your soul, they leave your body. Okay? That's called death. But the spirit and the soul is also the combination of the heart. And the only thing that can distinguish these two is the word of God. And we talked about this in late in previous weeks. But our heart in this world, in this life, can get damaged. Our heart can get broken. We can have a broken heart. Scripture talks about a broken heart. Scripture talks about how Jesus, one of his ministries, is to come to heal the brokenhearted. And we talked about this at length before in Isaiah 61, Luke 4, for example. Jesus is here to heal our broken heart. Jesus is here to help you with your emotional mood swings. And I'm not just talking to ladies, but we, all, we can all have emotional mood swings. And Jesus is here to help us with that. Isaiah 26, 26 verse 3 says, You will keep a perfect peace in your mind that your soul is stayed on him because you trust him. As we learn to keep our mind stayed on him, that peace that is already in our spirit begins to dominate our soul and our eyes. 
I want to say this again. I want to slow down for a moment. As we learn to keep our minds, that's our soul, uh, stayed on Jesus, on God, his word, his promises, the peace, what's peace? The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. It's part of our, it's in our spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit. That's already in our spirit begins to dominate our soul. In other words, one thing we're teaching here, what's going to dominate your life? Your own soul or your spirit? Is your flesh going to dominate your life and be out of peace? Or is, or is your spirit going to dominate your life and you live in peace despite what you're going through, despite the circumstances? Who's going to be Lord of your life? Your spirit man who's born again or your flesh? That's why Paul says in, in Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is not just talking about immorality. The lust of the flesh, you know, depression, anger, uh, poor me, poor me, and having a little pity party, that's your flesh wanting to reign. Your flesh wants to be pampered. Your flesh wants to, 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 to be Lord. But the Spirit of God can give you peace despite what you're going through. Again, I can go to many different angles with this. Talk about love, joy, peace. I can talk about all the, the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit with this. Again, going back to the Spirit, we talked about this briefly already. Is saved now by faith, and we use Ephesians 2 8, where you have been saved through faith, by grace you've been saved through faith. When you believe in His grace, you are saved by faith. We established that already this morning. When you accept Jesus, your spirit man is saved, and when you accept Jesus, your spirit man is made whole. I want to add to this real quick before we get into the tabernacle. Your spirit is renewed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And one of the key verses I want to use for this real quick is Titus 3, 3-5. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. That's who we were before we, we were saved, okay? But when the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appears, not by works of righteousness which we have done, not by anything we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, made us whole, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Our spirit is renewed. One thing I'm, I'm trying to capitalize in here before we go to town, our spirit is renewed, our soul is being renewed, and we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, we're going to get there, and then uh, our bodies will be renewed when Jesus comes again. But our spirit is renewed by the Holy Spirit. Our spirit is regened. What does that mean? It's been regened. It, we are a new creation. We're born again. We're a new creation. It's been regened. It's a whole new gene. It's a whole new DNA. It's, I'm not talking about male and female. I'm talking about we've been regened. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. We've been regened. We were flesh. And now we are spirit again. Your spirit is renewed. It's renovated. It's regimed in the image and likeness of Jesus. Paul says this way, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Colossians says this way, to them God will to make known that what are the riches of the glory of among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we, our spirit man is renewed. It is regenerated. It's not going to be renewed and regenerated again. Our spirit man is 100% holy, is 100% righteous. It's just like Jesus. But our soul, that we've already established as being saved by the Word of God, 
and we talked about this from James 1.21, which is able to save your soul. My soul is being made whole. How? By the wash of water by the word. I want to add to that and say our soul is being renewed. And we're going to look at Romans 1 to 2 real quick. I'm going through this real fast because in many ways this is a recap. I'm just adding to it. And then I'm going to slow down hopefully whenever we get to the tabernacle. Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your, when you renew your mind through the word of God, you are being transformed. What transformed? That's metamorphosis. That's like a caterpillar being transformed to a butterfly. Or a tadpole being transformed to a frog. Okay? That's, that's, the, same, that's the same word. Okay? Metamorphosis. Metamorpho. Okay? And that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, my mind is being renewed. And it needs to be removed, renewed every day. Sometimes it needs to be removed every hour, every minute. Okay? I can, I can preach a good message like this, and in a, in a few moments from now, after, after I'm done, you know, something could happen on the road, something could happen that causes my mind to get distracted and get in the flesh, and it needs to be renewed. Okay? My emotions are being renewed. My thoughts are being renewed. My soul is being renewed. And it is the renewing of our minds that our lives get transformed. It is the renewing of our minds that we break strongholds that the world and the devil has erected into our hearts. You know, we can, uh, we can be uh, sold out for God, love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and at the same point in time, because we are in the world, there's things, there's thoughts, there's strongholds that the devil tries to have in our lives. And when we renew our minds, we can break those trials that the world and the devil alike have erected into our hearts. Right now, all of us are being renewed by the washing of water by the Word. How do I know that? I'm preaching the Word. The Word is being preached. It's not because of me. It's because of the Word. The Word is actually renewing our minds. I don't know what kind of week you had. I don't know what kind of morning you had. I don't know what kind of day you have. You know, there's all different things going on, but... When we pause in the middle of our week, the beginning of our week on Sunday, here on Resurrection Morning, our minds are being renewed because the Word of God is being preached. And what part of us is being renewed? Our minds, our will, our emotions, okay? And any of us who gets away from the Word of God, the, our Bibles, long enough will be conformed to the image of this world. If you get away from God's Word long enough, you will be conformed back to the image of this world. It doesn't take long. If any of us get away from church and fellowship, we'll eventually be conformed to the image of this world. Okay? You will get discouraged in this, this life. You will get depressed. You, at least you have the, the tendency in this world to, to do these things. And if you are staying away from God and His Word and His church, you will get discouraged more easily, you will get depressed more easily, and you will also experience things that God doesn't want you to experience. Okay? But as you discipline yourself with being in the Word of God, your mind gets renewed. As you discipline yourself to be in prayer, communion with God, your mind gets renewed. As you fellowship with other believers, your mind gets renewed. When you are plugged into a relationship with God, you are plugged into the process of continually renewing your mind. When you are plugged into a relationship with the Word, you are, the, you are plugged into the process of renewing your mind. When you are plugged into a relationship with the body of Christ, the church, 
you are plugged into the process of continuing my mind. And anytime you unplug from any of these three sources, you are unplugging from the process of renewing your mind. Do we have to go to church? No. But you are just unplugging yourself from being uh, from renewing your mind and being conformed to this world. The process of being renewed from glory to glory and from faith to faith is by being having a relationship, relationship with God, a relationship with His Word, a relationship with His church and the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. Okay? He's the head, but we are the body. Okay? Anytime your head gets disconnected from your body, you're a dead man. Okay? The process of being renewed is not yet complete. It is in our spirit, but not in our minds. We are still learning. We are still growing. We are still maturing. Okay? As a body of Christ. And the, the part of my heart that is being revelator to who God is, is my soul versus my spirit. My spirit already knows who God is. It's born of God. But my mind is, my heart is still revelator to who God is. The part of my heart that is being revelator to his kingdom is my soul. The part of my heart that is being revelator to who his, what his will is, my soul. The part of my heart that is being revelator to his plan for my life is my soul. My, the part of my life that is being revelatory to his goodness is my soul versus my spirit. Because my spirit already knows these things. But my mind needs this revelation. And it needs it on a continual. Because I, I might know it, I still need to be reminded of it. My spirit already has Jesus in it. My spirit already has the word of God. It's born of the word of God. First Peter 1.23 We are born again not a corruptible seed, but an incredible seed by the word of God. My spirit is united with the Word of God. But I need my mind renewed on a regular basis what God has already done in my spirit. In life, if you hang out with the right people long enough, you will see positive change in your life. That's just a fact of life. But if you hang around with the wrong people long enough, you'll see negative change in your life. Paul said it this way in Corinthians, Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good matters. That's why we encourage you whether you come to this church or not to this church don't go to a church with bad teaching because evil communication will corrupt uh, good matters. I can take this in many different levels. Did Jesus hang out with the publicans and sinners? Yes, to reach them. But he was also establishing who he was in Christ. Some of us are not established. Okay, And that can be dangerous of how, how wrong you do it. Okay? We're in the world, not other world. Some of us work in workplaces where we can't control that. We have family members who are not saved. Some of us are going to get together today for Easter and whatnot. We need to, and some of us need to renew our minds after we get away from the some of gathering. Some of us need to renew our minds after we get out of that workplace and the work environment. I don't know about you, but I do. And so, so we need that. Proverbs says it this way. He that walketh the wise man shall be wise, but a companion of the fool shall be destroyed. We need to know who we keep... Uh, our companionship with. I'm not saying we are going to be like monks and nuns where we don't associate with the world. But at the same point in time, we we need to be careful. We need to be mindful who is our main influencers in our lives. Okay? My soul is still in the process of being made whole. And when I when I don't cooperate with that process, when I when I when I you know put a little bit of uh, junk in that process, it, it pollutes the process. 
and it makes the process longer, harder, even more confusing. But my my spirit, my good, my born again spirit is already complete. It's already made whole. But my soul is still in the process, and I need to keep that in mind. My body, we talk about, is saved in the hope and resurrection, and we talked about from Romans chapter eight twenty three, where we're still eagerly waiting for the, the redemption of our bodies. Okay. But our bodies are purchased, our bodies are redeemed, and our spirits have been redeemed. Our spirits have been sealed. Our spirits have been born again, they're saved, they're made whole. Okay? We talk about these things. Our minds are being made whole, and our body is, is made whole by, uh, by the hope and the resurrection. Your body will re be redeemed at the appearing of Jesus in his kingdom. We've been talking about this. And your body will be renewed at the appearing of Jesus. But right now, my body is still de is decaying. Okay? My body is mortal. But my spirit is not subject to death. My body is, but not my spirit. Right now, my body is subject to sickness. But my spirit is not subject to sickness. Right now, my body is subject to weaknesses. But my spirit is doesn't know the weakness. My spirit is united to Jesus Christ. My spirit has the fullness of God on the inside. My spirit has the power of the Godhead inside its body. My, my flesh has no power to live its life. My flesh has no power to live for God. It's only my spirit, man, that's born again, that has the power to live for God. Okay? My body is saved in the hope of the resurrection, but when I die, my body will be renewed. My spirit is renewed. My soul, my soul is being renewed. By the but uh, uh, um, so be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a process, and my body will be renewed in the last age. Romans Romans eight nine to twelve says this. I think I said that our body will be renewed when Jesus comes again. Okay. Romans eight nine to ten says, "But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you." We're going to be talking about that when we talk about the tabernacle dwelling in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of uh, righteousness. He goes on to say, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. I know I'm going to do this little fast, but I want to get through this section and get to the tabernacle part, and I apologize for that. But I want, I want to slow down certain parts where I want to make sure we're getting it. Our bodies are mortal, but they, he, they, he gives life through his spirit. And through the spirit who dwells where? In us. His spirit dwells in, his spirit dwells in us. And his spirit that dwells in us is what's giving life to this body. When your spirit leaves your body, your bodies will decay. It will rot. It will die. It's dead. And the only thing that keeps this body ticking is the spirit of God who's in you. Okay? But we will get a day when we will have, our, our minds will be totally changed. They won't need to be changed anymore. And our spirit, our bodies will be perfect. They will be complete. Okay? Ephesians says it this way. In him, 
Also, we have attained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will, that, the, that, that we who first trust in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, that the gospel of salvation is him also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the person's possession. What is the person's possession of bodies? He's the guarantee. We already have him in our spirit. We're already born again. But and, but that spirit, the, 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 we are sealed with the Holy Spirit promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of our person's possession. Our bodies have not been redeemed yet. But we being born again and the Spirit of God being in us is our guarantee that we are going to have. It's going to come to the praise of His glory. God redeemed me. What part of me? My spirit. My spirit was dead in trespasses and sins. And He took the stony heart, the spirit away. We talked about this last week, I believe, from Ezekiel. And He gave me a new spirit. And He put His spirit on the inside of me as a guarantee and the down payment of the assurance of my full inheritance, spirit, soul, and body. When you are born again, you don't get a new soul at that time. You will get one. When you are born again, you don't get a new body. When you are born again, you do get a new spirit. And in Christ, your spirit is redeemed right now. In Christ, your spirit is sealed. It's incorruptible. It's born again. It's united to Jesus. It's righteous. It's truly holy. It's saved. It's sealed. It's made whole. Nothing can get into your spirit. And why? Because it's sealed. Nothing can come out of your spirit but what is of God. Why? Because it's sealed. You are a new creation in Christ if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. But most people don't understand this. Most people don't understand how can I be saved and have a bad thought? How can I be united with Jesus and have bad thoughts? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit and have bad thoughts? How can I pray in tongues and have bad thoughts? In other words, how can I love God with all my heart and do something wrong? How can I be a devout Christian and do wrong things? How can I live my life for God and still do wrong things? And many people believe that in fear that God leaves them when they do something wrong. Many people fear that God forsakes them. Many people, like Adam and Eve, run and hide from God. When Adam sinned, did God hide from Adam? Did God leave and forsake Adam? No! He came to them in the cool of the day like he'd done every other day. Adam hid from God. God didn't hide from man. Man hid from God. Now, sin is stupid. Okay? Sin is dumb. Sin is wrong. But his love is greater. His mercy is greater. His blood is greater. Salvation is here. And if God leaves us over sin, which sin will he leave us over? Well, the bad ones, Pastor. 
Well, the, if God leads us because of the bad ones, then my question to you is, then what sins are good? What sins are okay? The word of God says anything that's not a faith is sin. Are you always walking in faith? If you're always walking in faith, then how come the sick are not being healed and the dead are not being raised? Among many other things. If God leads us over sin, who's innocent? If God leads us over sin, who is qualified after the flesh? Who's perfect after the flesh? I am not condoning sin and doing bad things. But how does this work out in real life? How does this work out in my real walk with God? Thank God my spirit is sealed by the Holy Spirit promise. And he gave me the down payment for my full redemption. Spirit, soul, and body. Okay? But one day, Jesus will return and I will get a new body. One day, Jesus will return and my soul will be changed. He says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know the part with them shall I know even as I know am known. But the day will come when I will never have a bad thought again. And the day will come when I will never have an issue in my body ever, ever again. And when we don't reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, sin will work in our members, in our unrenewed mind. If I don't know that my spirit is sealed, if I don't know that my God keeps his promises, that he will never leave me, and forsake me. If and when I do something stupid called sin, I must believe that God does not leave or forsake me. Because I need God's help to overcome it. I can't overcome it on my own. I need God's help to help in it. And I need God's help to not do it again. If God leaves me and forsakes me because I sin, I have no hope. Because I can't break the power of sin. I can't change my life. I can't fix it. I can't stop doing it. I can't conquer the flesh by the flesh. God doesn't leave me up for saying. God comes not to condone the sin. God helps me to fix the problem. So I stop doing it. Because the issue for us as believers is not if or when we sin. The issue, are you going to live a life serving God or serving sin? Are you going to at least get up when you fall down? Proverbs says, Therefore a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. We're talking about resurrection morning. That fits. But the wicked shall fall by calamity. When you are born again, there is a part of you that loves God. And when you are born again, there is a part of you that loves God even after your emotions are struck. There's a part of you that loves God even after your thinking is struggling. Even after your, your will <coughs> and desires are struggling. How many people do you know that are in the, they're in the Word of God, they're praying, they're serving God, they're serving others, they're helping others, then something happens. They get hurt. They get disappointed. They get tempted. Someone does something done to them. Because we have all hurt people. We've all hurt one another. We have all failed. And we have all fallen. So how do we deal with this? How do we fix it? 
How do we live righteous and holy? How do we live a blameless life? He came to, he, he wants to make us whole, spirit, soul, and body, that we would be blameless at the coming of Jesus. First, we need to know that God loves us, no matter what your issue is. Second, we need to know that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be made whole. Third, we need to know everyone who is born again is united to his spirit. And fourth, we need to know he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. In Christ, your spirit is born again. In Christ, you are a new creation. In Christ, your spirit is incorruptible, is sealed. You must understand this. Because God dwells among us. Well, how did God deal how did God dwell among the Israelites? And now I'm trying to change the tone a little bit. Okay? I have all that in my long introduction to get to where I want to get to talk about the tabernacle. How did God dwell among the Israelites? God chose them. They were his people. God sanctified them. They did not sanctify themselves. God delivered them from the world. From all the nations, God delivered them. God is the one that set them apart. He became their God, and they became his people. And yet, this people that God sanctified, set apart, they had some problems. You can read, the, you can read about the Israelites from Genesis to even till now. And they were hard-hearted. They were stiff-necked. They were rebellious, and they did terrible things. They were not special people because of who they were after the flesh. They were not special people because of what they did or who they did. They were, it was not the blood of Abraham in their veins that made them special. It was God and their myths that made them special. They were no better than the Egyptians. They were no better than the Babylonians. They were no better than the Syrians. They were no better than the Philistines. It was God in their midst that made them special. What made them different? It was God in their midst that made them different. See, the tabernacle is a type and shadow of the temple in the earth today. Let's talk about type and shadows real quick. Type and shadows are a natural thing that point to a supernatural thing. A type and shadow is a picture of something to come. It's prophetic. A type and shadow is today we live in the substance and reality in Jesus of all the symbols and types and shadows of the old covenant. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is the substance of all the types and shadows we see in the Old Testament being revealed. See, the tabernacle was a type of shadow of something to come. The tabernacle was a symbol of something to come. And we are to learn from that symbol, from this type of shadow. But a type of shadow is also, a, it unveils something that is real to you and I today. 
One of my key verses that I want to talk use right now and talk about the tabernacle is from Exodus chapter 25. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. These were wicked. The Israelites were not special in and of themselves. And how could a holy God live among them, a unholy people? God is saying, I want to be with you. I want to live among you. Build a place for me to dwell. I want to be with you. But you are no different than the Egyptians. You are no different than the Philistines. You are no different than the world. God said, I want to be with you. I want to live among you. But you're a mess. So, Here's how I'm going to do it. Build me a temple. Build me a house. And I will dwell in the house. And that house will allow me to dwell among you. God wants to dwell among us to discipline us in our walk. Disciple us. Okay? To bless us in our faith obedience. And to chasten us as we get off of the divine will he has ordained for us. Now, this sounds very Old Testament to some people. But he is here to chase. He is here to disciple us. Discipline and disciple are basically the same word. Go make disciples of all nations. We make some of this a negative thing. It's a good thing. He's here to bless us. Okay? So God dwell in his fullness in what we call the most holy place of the tabernacle. I know it's a little blurred. I had to blow this up a little bit. We're going to look at this in a moment. We have the most holy place, the holy place, and with a veil that separates the two. We have the inner court and the outer court. And I'm going to explain these things in some detail in a few moments. But God in his fullness dwelt here. Okay? So God dwelt in his fullness in the most holy place. But you might ask, I thought God was omnipresent. I thought he was everywhere. Yes, God's presence is everywhere. But there is a dimension of God's presence that a believer has that a non-believer does not have. As a believer, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Christ is not in someone who has not made Jesus Lord and Savior. He's among them. He's in the world. The earth is filled with his glory. And there's coming a day where they will go to hell and his glory will not be there. But Christ is not in them. Christ is in believers. He's in this church, which is people. And he's not in the world. He's a model where the world can experience him to a certain level, but not to the dimension that a Christian can. There is a different dimension of God's presence in someone who's born again and someone who's not. Gathering together in agreement in the church, in the assembly, is another dimension of the manifested presence of God. When we come together like living stones and make up a building, there is a presence. That's another dimension of God's presence. But you might ask, I don't have to go to church. I can experience God on my own. That is a true statement. I can't argue with that. Yes, you can experience God on your own. We should all be experiencing God on your own. I'm not going to argue with that. And you can experience the presence of God on your own. Whether you're fishing, 
whether you're going on a cruise, whether you're in a tent, whether you're in a house, whether you're in a cathedral, wherever you go, you can even experience God in presence in a bar. Okay? I'm not encouraging you to go to the bar, but you can experience that. Okay? But there are dimensions of God's presence you can't experience alone. There is something about a sanctified place that is dedicated to God, that has bound demonic activity, and that a group of people of faith have come together to believe uh, for miracles and signs and wonders. God has always wanted his manifested presence to be experienced among his people. He's always wanted that. Since Adam and Eve, he has always wanted to manifest his presence among his people. Not just be a God out there somewhere. He didn't just die and rise again just so we can worship him high in the sky. He came to worship. He came to, he, we celebrate Easter. He came to die and rise again so that we could have a manifested relationship with God. That's real. That's genuine. That's authentic. Jesus said, for what two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. He is in the midst of my spirit when I'm all by myself. But when we, when I come in agreement and unity with fellowship believers, Jesus is in our midst in a very, very manifested way. When things happen that can't happen independent of the body of Christ. That's how God designed it. We are the body. You know, my heart is very powerful. But my heart can't do anything without the whole body. It will just be an organ in a jar on the shelf. I know that sounds very gross. We've seen too many cop movies where there's autopsies and whatnot. But your, your heart was not designed to, to be by itself. Your heart was designed to function within the body. Connected to the brain. Connected to the other members of the body. Okay? God has always wanted his manifest presence to be experienced upon his people. He says again from Exodus 28, 25, verse 8, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary that I can live among them. Build me a temple. Build me a house. And I will dwell in that house. That house will allow me to dwell among you. And there is really... See, there's really no way... I can dwell in a building made with hands. And we're going to get into this a little bit more in future weeks. But I'm going to do a type of shadow. And I want you to build a temple. And we'll make it into three parts. We've been talking about how God, Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are spirit, soul, and body. But there will be a one part of that temple where my fullness will dwell. Okay, and that place is called the most holy place, or the holy of holies, in the tabernacle of Moses, the type and shadow. Okay, the most holy place, also called the holy of holies, is where the fullness of God's presence dwelt. We're talking about we're spirit, soul, and body. In the fullness of God's presence, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where I'm going with this, and in our spirit is where the fullness of God dwells. The fullness of God didn't dwell here. Is he everywhere? Yes, he's even in the court. But his fullness is manifested in the most holy place. 
the fullness of God's presence was represented here. The Shekinah glory, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, God's presence was manifested in this place. Okay? And nothing unholy could go in. Why? Because there was a bell. There was a bell. There was a seal. The holy, most holy place was sealed with a bell. Our spirit is sealed by the Holy Spirit. And nothing unholy could go into the most holy place. And nothing that was not of God could come out of the most holy place. Once a year, the priest, the high priest, would go in to, to put blood on the mercy seat. But they did so, they, they, they put a rope around his leg because, and, and with bells on it. So as long as there was still a jingle, 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 things were good. But it was a jingle, jingle, jingle thud, not so good. Okay? And they wanted to be able to pull him out because no one could go in and go get him. Because they would die too. And so nothing unholy could go in there. And nothing unholy could come out. Because if you were unholy and went in there, you didn't come out alive. You had to be dragged out. Okay? Now, the, let me switch here. The outer court was a place for the Gentiles. That's the world. That's the lost. They're not even in the body. They're not even born again. They're not Jews. Okay? We are spiritual Israel. Read Romans chapter 9. I don't have time to go into all that right now. The outer court is where evangelism took place. The outer court is where the world, God and the world met and the gospel was shared. Okay? That's the world. Things happened in the outer court that would not happen in the holy place. Would not even happen in the, the whole tabernacle at large. Things would happen in the outer court that could not happen in the holy of holies, the most holy place. It could not happen there. See, the inner court, where the bronze altar and labor were, is where the sacrifices and ceremonial cleansing took place. This speaks of the cross. We'll speak more of that a little bit later. Sin was dealt with in the outer court. The world came in. The first thing they dealt with was sin. Sin was dealt with. You couldn't go in any further until sin was dealt with. Everything in the holy place is symbolic of God, of gold. This was all bronze. This was all gold. Anything that was gold was holy. Anything that was bronze was judgment. Bronze stood for judgment. There was nothing gold out here. It was all bronze. Remember Goliath? His armor was bronze. Everything he had was bronze. Okay? Uh, gold. It purified. It, a lot of this was wood overlaid with gold. Wood stands for people. Man. Flesh. It's overlaid with gold. It's holy. It's been made holy. Okay? And this is where the priests did their regular duties. I'm not going to go all the, all the furniture in here and whatnot. That's not the scope of my message this morning. But then the bell sealed the most holy place from the holy place. Or the holy of holies from the holy place. Okay? Nothing, again, nothing unholy could go into the most holy place. And nothing could come out of the most holy place that was not God. Because the only thing that in there was God's presence. And the only thing that could ever come out was God. Was God. 
not making sense. So the only thing that can go into your spirit is something that's holy. And the only thing that can come out of your spirit is something that's holy. And the fullness of God's presence dwell here. The fullness. Is God everywhere? Yes. Was God here? Yes. Was God everywhere? Absolutely. But this fullness was manifested here. If you can understand the types and shadows of the tabernacle, you can understand what is happening in you now, the temple of God. Okay? I'm using this as a type of shadow to explain what is happening now in us, the temple of God. Nobody on the outside could see the presence of God. Nobody on the outside could feel the presence of God. Nobody who was on the outside could enter the kingdom of God, the presence of God. Remember, Jesus and Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see and you can't enter the kingdom of God. Nobody in the outer court could see God's presence. Nobody in the inner court could see God's presence. And nobody in the holy place could even see God's presence. Why? There was a bow. It was sealed. They couldn't see it. Was God there? Yes. Did they know he was there? Yes. It was manifested. But physically speaking, they could not see it. Some might argue, well, the Shekinah glory, you know, we don't know exactly how that all looked. But you, you, can might see, you might see some of the manifestations of God's presence being the most holy place, but you could see what was going on inside there. I can't see what's going on inside my spirit. I know he's there by the word of God. I know he's there. And I can see effects of that through the fruit of the spirit in my life and different things, but I can't see my spirit. Okay? But the fullness of God dwelt here. And the veil sealed the most holy place. Okay? Now in the New Testament, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How is that? The Holy Spirit is inside your body. I'm going to use several scriptures here, but there's many more I could use. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells where? In you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Ephesians 2.21 says, In whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1.20.21 says, For in all the promises of God, in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God, where? Through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and that anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There's many more scriptures, and I'm so busy I'm going to bring out later, later weeks. 
uh, in the book of Hebrews, and many scriptures talk about this same sort of thing. In Christ, there is a part of you that is sealed. And he had, had given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Like the temple, you have three parts, spirit, soul, and body. The temple had three parts. The most holy place or the holy holies, the holy place, and the inner court. The outer court was not part of the tabernacle. It was the world. It was that. It was, you know, everything else was out of out of court. Okay. But in your spirit is the most holy place, and in your spirit you have the very fullness of the Godhead. Okay. We have established that. We can continue to establish that with many scriptures. In your spirit, you have the very glory of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? But how can that be? It is sealed. How come I can't feel it? It's sealed. If you could feel the all-consuming fire of God on the inside of you, you would die. Your soul and body could never process the fullness of God. It's not been redeemed yet. It's still flesh. But if you will walk by faith, you will have moments when you do feel it. Am I saying Christians don't feel God's presence? No, I'm not. But they don't. I, Christians don't feel God's presence 100% of the time. But if you continue to walk with God by faith, you will have moments where you do feel God's presence. We're not living for the feeling. We're walking by faith. Not by feeling. This all-consuming fire of God will burn up the bad stuff in your life. This all-consuming fire of God is supposed to be burning all the dross in our lives. As we walk by faith in His grace. As we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5, 16. But it is sealed. The Holy Spirit is in us. And God dwells in his fullness among us. Through our spirit, we are made incorruptible. Now, I'm going to go to 1 Peter here real quick. But before I go here, I need to address some things because... There's a lot of religious junk that has come out of this passage. I need to explain myself. I need to explain some things before we read this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 4, Peter's talking about the outer appearance. He's talking about clothes, jewelry, hair, makeup, etc. And people, many religious people, have really misapplied this horrible. See, many have attacked, especially women, with this passage of Scripture. And that's why I need to clarify some things. Many religious, ridiculous junk that has nothing to do with what is being talked about has been preached and been taught and has been enforced upon people, especially women. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Peter is talking about the inner man versus being clothed with the outer man. Peter is talking about getting all caught up in the outer appearance. 
versus taking care of what is on the inside of you. Okay. In First Peter chapter three, verse three, four, he says, "When you when you religiously attack women or men for wearing jewelry, makeup, hairstyles, or even clothes." You are focusing on their outward appearance. It does that opposite what Peter's saying. By religiously attacking women by what they're wearing, make, makeup, whatnot, and that becomes the primary focus. It's the exact opposite of what Peter's trying to say. Now, am I saying that we should be modest? In our jewelry, makeup, and hairstyles, and whatnot? Yes. Because I, I can talk about modesty about everything. You know, there's some movements, I don't like naming certain ones, but the style of clothes that they're holier than they are, they're more focused on the outward appearance than the inward man. They've gone to the other extreme, and their modesty the religious modesty that is more focused on the outward appearance than the inward man. They're doing the exact thing that Peter's teaching against, but to the extreme. And some of these groups and some of these people, they I don't know how to say this without offending anybody, but they're not I don't want to see that. I don't want to see immodesty, but I also don't want to see a bunch of religious things that are just not, it's just an eyesore. Okay? And it's not going to win the world with Jesus. Okay? But when we focus on the outer appearance versus the inner appearance, we're, 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 we're focusing on the opposite of what Peter's saying instead of focusing on the inner appearance that Peter is talking about. Peter says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wear gold, or putting on fine apparel. God is not against wearing jewelry. God is not against wearing makeup. So if you, thank you. Okay? God's not against us having hairstyles. I'm glad you comb your hair. I'm glad you, uh, some hairstyles are not my style, but... You know, um, I'm glad you made an attempt. I'm glad you're wearing clothes. God's not giving against us wearing clothes. Because you can take this, if you're going to make a stream, how stream are you going to go? Because if, you, if you're saying, we can't wear jewelry, we can't wear makeup, we can't wear hairstyles, well, in the same context, is we can't wear clothes. And that would definitely bring some attention to the outer appearance versus the inner okay? Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. I want you to put on fine apparel, okay? There's a time to be a little sloppy and copy at home, you know, but I'm glad that you thought of us when you came out. He is not against any of these things. But don't let them be the primary focus against any of these things. That's the part he's trying to get to convey here. Anyone without God, all they have is their outward man. Therefore, the world is dominated by how they look. And I'm not saying it's wrong to look good. 
We're glad you look good, because we have to look at you. Okay? I'm being facetious, but I'm trying to make a point. But rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. See, in Christ, we have a hidden man in our hearts. God wants us to put on Christ versus being caught up in the outer man. God wants us to put more importance on how I look spiritually versus how we look physically. God wants us to put on Christ. God wants us to put on this incorruptible beauty of the inner man versus all caught up in our outer man. Notice again, rather be rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle spirit which is present. This is the same author who two chapters earlier said when we are born again of the incorruptible seed. This incorruptible seed is beautiful. It's a hidden treasure. It's a hidden man. But I want you to know something. After the cross, and you can read this in the book of Matthew, when Jesus died on the cross, God rent the bell. There's no more bell. Is it still sealed? Yes. We'll get to that. When Jesus died on the cross, God ripped the veil from top to bottom. From top to bottom means God ripped the tip, not man. Jesus, whose name means Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God with us, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, made the way to God. And the combination of Christ, his spirit, and his... See, when God ripped the veil from the most holy place where his fullness of his presence was, from the holy place which represents man, this represents God, this represents man, we were separated because of sin, and when Jesus died for our sins, he removed the veil because we are now his spirit and our spirit are one flesh. And there is no separation between his spirit, his fullness, and our spirit. And we have been made kings and priests to our God. You see, this is where the priests dealt with. This is where our king God dwelt. And we have been made kings and priests to our God. I don't have time to teach it. I can go a lot more deeper with some of this. See, the inner court represents our soul that has been transformed by the renewing of our minds. The outer court represents our body that is connected to this world. And it is our body that connects you to this world and gives you the authority to preach the gospel. If you die and come out of your body, you have no authority in this world. You have no authority to preach the gospel anymore. See, in Genesis 1, God gave man a body, the authority in this world. 
Let me make a point here. Unembodied spirits cannot operate on earth independent of a body. I don't care what you may think. I know some religions teach that uh, unbodied spirits have authority to operate in the world. That, that is totally uh, anti-Bible. That's totally wrong. It is your body that connects you to this fallen world that gives you the authority to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and raise the dead. Once you come out of your body, you cannot preach the gospel. Once you come out of your body, you can't pray for anybody. I guess what other religions teach. You can't heal the sick, and you can't cast out demons, and you can't raise the dead. So why isn't Paul preaching the gospel today? Why isn't Paul doing signs and wonders today? Because he left his body. Your body connects you to this world to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus, to heal the sick, to pray for one another. Your soul is a part of you that gets to choose. Are you going to yield to your spirit to and, and, and release that power? Are you going to do it in the flesh? Or are you going to do it by the spirit of God, the same power to raise Christ from the dead who lives in you? Or are you going to yield to the power? Let me read this again. Your soul is a part of you that gets to choose. Are you going to yield to your spirit and release that power? Or are you going to yield to your flesh and hinder the power of God in your life? Now in closing, I want to go to John 13, 5 real quick. This is before Jesus goes to the cross. He just had the last supper, the last Passover. Why do we call it the last Passover? Because Jesus is the true Passover. The whole Passover was symbolic of Jesus dying on the cross. And once Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, died, we don't need to celebrate Passover in that fashion anymore. Why? Because Jesus is the Passover Lamb. But after this, Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet, and I want, I want to take you here. And after that, after what? They just had the supper, the last Passover. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall not wash my feet! Explanation mark. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Some people said to him, well, that's the case. Lord, not my feet only, but also wash my hands and my head. Give me a whole body wash. Okay? And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to be washed his feet. But is completely clean. And you are clean. But not all of you, for you all knew who, who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. If you are in Christ, you are already clean. Except your feet. The only part of you that touches this world and gets dirty. Your feet has to be regularly washed by Jesus. Thank God my spirit has already been washed. Thank God my spirit has already been redeemed. It's already been cleansed by the washing of the blood of Jesus. And if or when I sin, it's not my spirit that has to be dealt with. It's not my spirit that has to be washed and cleansed. It is my soul that is affected by sin. It's my body, my feet, particularly, that have been affected by sin. When I repent 
and come to Jesus, he cleanses my soul. He cleanses my body. He washes my feet. It is Jesus washing my feet. He doesn't have to wash all of me. He's already washed my spirit. He's already regenerated my my spirit is already regenerated by, by the Holy Spirit. My spirit is already renewed by the Holy Spirit. My spirit is already sealed by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, when I sin and do something really stupid, I can run to God for help and mercy instead of running from God. And Jesus is still washing my feet. And we're supposed to wash one another's feet. We're supposed to forgive one another. When we hum, need to humble ourselves and realize in this world, we get dirty. But what part of us gets dirty? My flesh, my feet, my walk with God. Okay? My unredeemed carnal mind gets dirty. My unredeemed carnal body. I don't know why that was out of order. <laughs> okay? But my unrenewed carnal mind, meaning my emotions, my reasoning, where I doubt. Okay? Your spirit never doubts. Your spirit only knows faith. His fullness is dwelling in your born-again spirit. I hope this makes sense. I, I'm, I'm out of notes for the day. And we're going to pick, pick this up next week and we'll continue to talk about the benefits of salvation, particularly about wholeness. But God wants us whole spirit, soul, and body. His fullness is dwelling in our spirit, in the most holy place. But he wants to bless all of us. Make us whole spirit, soul, and body. We have such a great salvation. We're going to get more into this. We still have probably at least two more two more weeks on this wholeness part, and then we're going to healing. But God bless you. Happy Resurrection Day. Happy Easter to all of you. Uh, God bless you. We'll see you next week. God bless. Bye-bye.